Our New Testament scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, 1 through 36. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and you have, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. 
Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will crucify, you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The sermon, the time of exhortation for today, is based on this text and Matthew 15. And I've entitled this message, Blind Guides. Blind Guides. The text that I want to focus on, or at least I want to read, and we'll be focusing on both the text I just read from Matthew 23 and Matthew 15, 10 through 14. Matthew, 10, Matthew 15, 10 through 14 says this, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This morning, then, I want us to consider the religious leaders of Jesus' day, as Jesus described them, as blind guides leading the blind. Matthew 15, 14, and also in Matthew 23, he used that phrase. So we will consider the religious leaders of Jesus' day and make application to our day. But before I do that, let me say a word on critiquing the church leaders of our day, of critiquing religious leaders. An implicit question before us this morning is this. Is it ever proper to correct the religious leaders of the day? Was such a practice only proper in the first century when Jesus, John the Baptist, and even the first disciples called into question the faithfulness of the religious leaders of their day? Is there ever a time for us to say that the professing evangelical and reformed church and her leaders are out of step with scripture? Is it ever proper to hold up the practices of the religious leaders of our day to the word of God? If we say no, if we say it is not proper to do that, then we are saying that the professing evangelical and reformed church can never stray, can never err, We are saying that she can never be in danger of worldliness or compromise. If we cannot correct the professing church, then the church can never be wrong. And that sounds more like Roman Catholicism than biblical Christianity. Some people will argue that in saying what I say today and what I've said in the past, will say that I'm offending the leaders of the professing church. And they will label a message like this as infighting or uncharitable. I think they are quite wrong if they do that. They err because they misunderstand the scriptures. Judgment begins with the house of God. And if Christians cannot police themselves, as it were, or clean house, then we are in no position to call a watching world to repent. Seeking to maintain some quasi-unity 
in order to appear as if the church is united is not what biblical unity is. We have to be united in doctrine and practice from the word of God. Others may say that this is a private matter that should be dealt with behind closed doors. I disagree. We are talking here about the professing evangelical and reformed church at large and her leaders. The messages those leaders are sending and the practices they are encouraging are being broadcasted to a watching world. It behooves all Christians to tell a watching world that so much of what they are seeing is not in step with the Bible, as we discussed last week. And to be honest, I'm embarrassed by so much of what I've seen by the professing church, canceling services, telling congregants to stay away from the brothers and sisters in Christ as if they couldn't make those decisions for themselves. And it's not simply that this was a moment of weakness. You see, church leaders consciously made these decisions and they consistently stuck to them despite the word of God clearly saying that the church should assemble. And they have not repented, at least most of them have not repented of these decisions. I want you also to consider the fact that Jesus openly, he openly critiqued the respected religious leaders of his day. And it is not as if Jesus was the only one who critiqued the Pharisees. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, yes, Jesus critiqued the Pharisees, but he was the only one with authority to do that because he knew them perfectly. Therefore, you do not have the authority to critique the religious leaders of our day because you are not Jesus. The problem with that is that not only did Jesus critique them, but so also did John the Baptist. And not only did John the Baptist oppose those religious leaders of his day, but so too did the apostles in the sense that they refused to obey them and called into question the leaders' faithfulness to God when they said that they would disobey the Pharisees or the leaders of the day in order to obey God. And many Christians this past year have not only had to disobey the government, but also had to disobey church leaders in order to obey God. When John the Baptist and Jesus <clears throat> critiqued the scribes and Pharisees, it is interesting that the main offense the religious leaders took was simply that they were being corrected. They didn't really deal with the actual critique. The offense of the religious leaders was mainly in the simple fact that they were being critiqued. And one of my favorite lines uh, from this comes when one of the lawyers, a, a scholar of Torah, this was a person who was a, a scholar of the law of God, who took God's law seriously. After Jesus pronounces woes on the Pharisees, this lawyer answers him and says, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. He sort of says here, hey, you seem to be implying that we could be sinning too. In your critique of the Pharisees, you're kind of implying that we're in sin too. And what does Jesus say? Does he say, sorry, I didn't mean to include you in that statement. I was just making a general statement and I didn't want to question your faithfulness. No, that's not what he says. Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also. Woe to you lawyers also. What I have found is that when the professing church, and I'm not talking here about liberal churches, those who long ago abandoned the gospel, those are not even churches. I'm talking about the professing evangelical church. When the professing church is critiqued by any number of voices from within her ranks, 
the response from church leaders is often something along the lines of, you're suggesting that we're in sin. Or you're saying that we didn't follow the Bible when we made our decision. As if to say that to make such an accusation is by default unwarranted or that it is unchristian to even suggest such a thing. The, the critique is often only addressed in a superficial manner, and the focus is rather on the fact that the leaders were critiqued at all. And I've seen this at the level of a local, local churches and at the larger level of critiques against a broader evangelical and reformed church. And we've seen this in this past year with the response uh, to many Christians calling on the professing church to repent of her sin of ceasing to meet in the name of Jesus or forcing congregants to bow to the state when it comes to assembling, many of the responses from church leaders uh, to these concerns from Christians was, you're saying that all these churches that stopped meeting sinned, or you're saying that they didn't put God's word first, or you're saying that they conformed to the world. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying, and that is exactly what other Christians are saying as well. Simply stating that the critique implies sin, that sin could be involved, does not make it void. It's kind of like if a, to use an example as an illustration, if uh, a someone comes to, a, a mother comes to a child and says, it seems like you didn't clean your room. And the child says, you're accusing me of not o- obeying you. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You're saying that I didn't follow your commands. And that's the exact point. The mother is saying, you did not follow my commands. And the Christians are critiquing church leaders and saying, you didn't follow God's commands. The defense to that can't be simply, you're accusing us of not following God's word. How dare you? That's not a defense to a critique from God's word. If the professing church cannot understand that she is susceptible to worldliness and sin and compromise and even apostasy, then she is truly blind. But again, it wouldn't be the first time that religious leaders were blind guides leading the blind. It reminds me of a church I was in years ago and sharing some concerns from the Bible. The general response I got was not, hey, let's look to God's word on this because it's certainly at least possible that we're in error. Rather, the general response was, you're suggesting that we don't follow the Bible in this area. Yes, that was exactly what I was suggesting. However, the very idea that the professing church and her leaders should be challenged to be more faithful to the Bible is frowned upon. It's almost a non-starter. You can't even really get anywhere sometimes with that discussion. And these things ought not to be so. The professing church and her leaders must never become so comfortable that they think they are immune to straying from the Bible in doctrine or in practice. And I think part of the solution to this problem is for us to better understand the religious leaders of Jesus' day and how he viewed them and the dangers that he warned of. We often think of the Pharisees as a group of people that were viewed by the common people as hypocritical leaders. We often think of the Pharisees as as a group of people who were viewed by the common people as false teachers. That is not the case. And I think if we better understand how the Pharisees were viewed, and why Jesus critiqued them, we can form a better understanding of the dangers facing the religious leaders of our day within the evangelical church. So let us consider now the blind guides of Jesus' day. I wanted to just briefly speak on that. 
a bit of a defense for critiquing religious leaders because it's almost a non-star that you can't even go to the Word of God and say, hey, our religious leaders are not living up to it, and it ought not to be that way. So now let's consider these blind guides of Jesus' day. By looking at Matthew 23 and Matthew 15, I want to briefly point out four things about the religious leaders of Jesus' day that caused them to be characterized as blind guides. And for each point, I'll make application to the religious leaders of our day. So we have four points. I'll read through them first, and then we'll take them one by one. Here are the things, four things that about the religious leaders of Jesus' day that caused them to be characterized as blind guides. Number one, they sat in Moses' seat, so they taught the truth. They were orthodox in their theology, but they didn't practice it. So these are four, four things about the religious leaders that kind of build on them. So for the first point, let's just leave it at they taught the truth. They sat in Moses' seat. Okay, they were orthodox. They were not liberal. They were not compromised in their teaching of God's word in theory. They were sitting in Moses' seat, and we'll talk about that. That's the first thing for us to understand these religious leaders better. Now, that in and of itself doesn't imply that they were blind guides, but what follows does. So we have four things about the religious leaders of Jesus' day that we need to understand. Number one, they sat in Moses' seat. They taught the truth. Number two, in practice... They placed other things above the word of God. In practice, they placed other things above the word of God. I'll go back through these as well. Number three, and these all build, they said they believed one thing and then they did something else. In other words, they were hypocrites. And we'll explain that. So number three, they were hypocrites. They said they believed one thing, they did something else. And number four, they revered those who went before them in church history, if you if you will, but did not follow in their footsteps. So four things, and I'll repeat them as we go through them. So number one, the religious leaders of Jesus' day sat in Moses' seat, Matthew 23, verse 2. And if you want to kind of hang out in Matthew 23, we'll be there for um, most of these, and we'll look at Matthew 15 for one of them. So Matthew 23, verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You see, the scribes and Pharisees were not the religious liberals of the day. They were not viewed by faithful Jews as unqualified leaders. They were respected, honored, and revered. Much like many of the Reformed authors, conference speakers, and church leaders who led the way in canceling church. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives who held to God's word and sought to guide and protect the people from spiritual error. They were, if you will, the graduates from the Reformed Theological Seminaries. They were those who had been trained and taught in the Word of God and were respected. The equivalent of the scribes and Pharisees today would not be a Rob Bell or a Bart Ehrman or a United Church leader or an Arminian preacher proclaiming a false gospel. The closest corollary today would be the Reformed and Evangelical leaders who have the gospel of grace correct, who rightly taught about the saints' duty to obey God in all things. Those of whom Jesus would say, practice and observe whatever they tell you. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were that group of people. They were not the liberals. They were not those who had compromised. And I don't question the fact that the Reformed and Evangelical Church leaders today have taught right doctrine. 
And especially as we consider what has occurred in this past year in the forsaking of the assembly of the saints, the church leaders of our day had taught the correct doctrine. They had taught us that this Christian should assemble no matter what. And I've spoken and touched on this elsewhere, but it is not as if these churches that canceled the assembly of the saints didn't believe that God had commanded them to meet. John MacArthur, for example, who immediately canceled services, who said that it was a, quote, easy decision to stop gathering in the name of Jesus, had previously written that collective and corporate worship is a vital part of spiritual life. And even while openly saying it was an easy decision to cancel church, he acknowledged that God says we must meet. God says we must meet. Again, this was the consistent teaching within the Reformed Church. They did teach the correct doctrine. Years ago, long before COVID, R.C. Sproul taught about the command to gather together even calling on wives to disobey the authority of their husbands if the husband forbade the wife from assembling with the saints. Sproul said this, listen, I don't know how many times I have women say to me, I'm trying to be submissive to my husband, but my husband won't allow me to go to, the, to church. What should I do? I said, you go to church on Sunday morning. You disobey your husband. Because God commands you not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. And here is one case where not only may you disobey, but you must disobey. And then you try to win your husband with your love and subjection the rest of the week. End quote. Sproul was being consistent with the Christian worldview, with scripture. He was teaching correctly. He also said this, quote, If any ruler, if any ruler... A governing official or body, a school teacher, boss, or military commander commands you to do something God forbids or forbids you from doing something God commands. Not only may you disobey, but you must disobey. If it comes down to a choice like this, you must obey God. End quote. Christians would have been wise to follow Jesus's advice regarding the religious leaders of our day. Practice what they say, but don't do what they do. For years, many ordinary Christians within the church have been calling for a more faithful conformity to what is taught by church leaders. The professing Reformed Church proclaims, for example, that the gospel of grace is the only true gospel. And then, in practice, it takes it easy on false gospels. The professing Reformed Church says it believes, as Spurgeon did, that Calvinism is the gospel. And then it beats around the bush in calling out false doctrine. The professing church claims to be together for the gospel or united in a gospel coalition. But then it is not even firm on the gospel of grace when it comes to teaching it with clarity, precision, and discrimination against false doctrine. These are all signs of a disconnect between beliefs and practice. This disconnect became painfully obvious when the Reformed Church at large bowed to the state, and canceled church. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day and our day both taught the correct thing. They sat in Moses' seat, if you will. They sat in the seat of the apostles and they taught true doctrine. But then they didn't do it. 
That's number one. The religious leaders of Jesus' day sat in Moses' seat. They taught the correct doctrine. Practice what they tell you, but don't do what they do. That is how Jesus described the religious leaders of his day. They were orthodox. They were correct in their doctrine, but they didn't live it out. Which leads us to point number two. In practice, the religious leaders of Jesus' day placed other things above the word of God. Even though, of course, they would never say that we're putting something else above God's word. right? And simply because they never said that didn't make it less true. Just as there can be people today, leaders within the professing church, that are, they say they're all about the Bible. They say we believe in these doctrines, but then they don't live them out or they place something else above them. The Pharisees claim to hold God's word above all else. These would have been the ones hosting the conferences on scripture and faithfulness to God, but they had a tendency to place other things above scripture. In Jesus' day, it was tradition, things that men had said were important. In seeking to be faithful to God and his word, the religious leaders actually disregarded God's word for the sake of their tradition. In Matthew 15, as we read in Matthew 15, Jesus points out that they had a clear command from God. A clear command from God. Matthew 15, verse 4, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Clear command from God. But the problem with the Pharisees here was that while they acknowledged that command from God, of course, they didn't deny that that was a command from God. They acknowledged it. But they turned around and encouraged the people to disobey it by introducing another standard. And what do they say? What do they say in verse 5? But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. He need not honor his father. They introduce another standard that contradicts God's word. The majority of church leaders in our day did the same thing this past year. They acknowledged the command from God. The church must meet. They acknowledged that. They had in the past, and they didn't even really deny it in theory when the coronavirus struck. They acknowledged it, but then they prevented the people from obeying it by introducing some other standard, a doctrine of men, whether from some council of pastors that got together and shared in their ignorance, or from the CDC, or from the governor's office. They took that doctrine and placed it above the word of God and said, yes, God said meet, but we've introduced this other standard that encourages you not to meet. In canceling the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day, the professing church used the excuse of, hey, we were submitting to the government. Uh, we were submitting to the government. That's what the Bible tells us. But the true church has historically and correctly understood that we must obey God first to put anything else above God as far as obedience to his word is to introduce another standard and to teach as, as doctrines the commandments of men. The religious leaders of Jesus' day taught as doctrine the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 9. And the church today did the same thing. God commands his people to gather in fellowship. For centuries, Christians believed this, and even at great risk to themselves, even in opposition to government mandates, even in opposition to religious leaders, if you know church history, they still chose to gather. As we have seen, even church leaders that capitulated and stopped meeting said they believed this. 
Then, with the world watching in 2020 and 2021, the professing evangelical and reformed church, with the exception of the faithful remnant, capitulated and ceased to meet as churches. They gave up on gathering together in the name of Jesus. They stopped coming together. They stopped coming together because of a concern for sickness or a concern for a fine or a concern to be viewed a certain way. Whatever the reason, it doesn't matter the reason, they canceled church. They canceled the assembly of the saints. They took the command from God and said, yes, but we have another standard above that. And that's what they said in practice. Of course, they're not going to come out and say that, right? The Pharisees weren't coming out and saying, hey, we're going to disregard the word of God. It was not that obvious with their words, but Jesus said, look at what they do. As the world watched, the professing church put fellowship and the clear direction from God's word aside and elevated the doctrines of men instead. The recommendations from the CDC, that, well, we got to obey the government here even though God says this, but those things were all placed above the clear command from the word of God. And we'll talk more about how to find wisdom and direction from God's word next week and how the professing church really set a bad example to Christians and the world when it comes to how do you find guidance to make decisions in life. We'll talk about that next week. So that's number two. The religious leaders of Jesus' day and the leaders in our day, even though they said, they would never say that uh, they would do this, they said they held the word of God above all, but they placed other things, the doctrines of men, whether it's tradition, whether it's recommendations, whether it's a, whatever it is, they placed those things above the word of God. Number three, the religious leaders of Jesus' day said they believed one thing and then did something else. In other words, they were hypocrites. Matthew 23 Verses 27 through 28. Jesus, as we saw in the scripture reading, called multiple times called the religious leaders of his day hypocrites. Now understand that he didn't do this because they were charlatans or slick shysters who, you know, were were duping the people and, and were clearly these, you know, evil people that you could just tell, you know, these guys are hypocrites. They were hypocrites, and Jesus called them hypocrites because their practices did not conform to what they taught. Their practices did not conform to what they taught. Again, the Pharisees didn't come out and say they didn't believe in God's word. They appeared righteous to others. Matthew 23, verse uh, 27. Uh, you outwardly appear beautiful. Verse 28, you also outwardly appear, appear righteous. They were ostensibly the best examples of faithfulness and orthodoxy of the day. When you think of the Pharisees, all right, as you're reading the Bible and thinking about uh, Jesus' ministry and the opposition he faced, when you think of the Pharisees, I want you to think today of the group of religious leaders, the group of religious leaders today that you most respect, those that you most admire. Think of those religious leaders and then think of the Pharisees as being that type of group. That's how the Pharisees were viewed, right? They were viewed... Uh, they were respected. So when you think about the Pharisees, think of the group today that you would most respect and admire within the Reformed Church and say, okay, that's how people viewed the Pharisees. That's how they were looked at. These were, these were the ones who were teaching the Word of God. But they were hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites. At least most of them. And this here is a justification for painting with a broad brush on occasion, right? Sometimes people say, well, you're painting with a broad brush or you can't do that. Some of the Pharisees, I think, were genuine. 
right? When Jesus came along, they repented and believed. The scripture tells us that, that some of the Pharisees believed. Just like some of the church leaders today did not cancel church, they did not compromise. They stood on the word of God. There are leaders within the evangelical and, and reformed church that stood on the word of God. But most of those church, most of the church leaders today compromised. And most of the religious leaders in Jesus' day were hypocrites. And so Jesus paints with this broad brush here. And so it is justification for, on occasion, painting with a broad brush. Of course, we acknowledge that just as in Jesus' day, there were some Pharisees who did truly follow God's word. There were some leaders this past year that did follow God's word and did not cancel church. And from the moment the coronavirus came, they said, we will stand on God's word and we will practice what we preach. You see, regarding the assembly of the saints, it was not as if the professing Reformed Church had no idea what was at stake here. It was not as if they had never thought about the idea of authorities forbidding something God commands. All right, we've read those quotes. It was not as if they hadn't thought about that stuff. And it was not as if they didn't believe that God commanded the saints to gather. They said they believed this. And then they acted differently. They said they believed this, and then they acted differently. This, at least, is a form of hypocrisy by any honest standard. Okay, Hypocrisy, the definition of hypocrisy, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Right, The practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. That's hypocrisy. Doesn't need to be some some flagrant thing where you're you're a, a slick false teacher trying to deceive the masses. You 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 teach one thing, you say you believe one thing, but then in practice your behavior doesn't conform to that. That's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were. They were hypocrites. And there were many church leaders in our day, this past year, that were hypocrites. They said one thing about the assembly of the saints, and then their their behavior did not conform to that. And if the immediate response from church leaders who canceled services is, hey, you're accusing me of hypocrisy. How uncharitable and unchristlike. If that's the response, then we have a problem. The professing church and her leaders, just like the Pharisees, are not open to correction and reform. Because if you don't practice what you preach, you are a hypocrite. The response of the professing church reminds me very much of these scribes and Pharisees in the first century. When they were confronted... When they were confronted with their hypocrisy, they were offended. They were offended. They didn't analyze the argument and look at their practice. They simply got offended. You see, even before the COVID compromise, many churches that claimed to be reformed claimed to have the gospel, but they hid it under a lampstand. And now their true colors have come out even more clearly. And I know I'm not a prophet, but the writing's been on the wall. And now it's clearly displayed. The professing evangelical church at large is good at preaching doctrine, but very bad at living it out. And just like the scribes and Pharisees, they know what to say, but they do not practice what they preach. And as such, the world sees a confusing display of Christianity, as we discussed last week. Last point, number four. The religious leaders of Jesus' day revered those who went before them in church history, if you will. They revered them and admired them, but did not follow in their footsteps. Matthew 23, 
29 through 31. Jesus says, you, you, you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Right? You admire those who went before. The Pharisees admired the prophets that had unflinchingly stood for faithfulness to God and his word. The Pharisees, the leaders of the day, respected those who would not capitulate to the world or undermine the word of God. Again, these religious leaders had a lot of things right. They would have been like those today who write the books about John Knox and William Bradford. They would have been like those today who talk about how the reformers stood on the word of God against the world. They would be like those today who admired the first century Christians for refusing to cancel church, even at great risk to themselves. They would be like those today who say all those things. And then when it comes to their own life and their own day, they abandon the way of righteousness and faithfulness. And this has been one of the most embarrassing things about the church's compromise in canceling the Assembly of the Saints. All this talk for years uh, of the reformers who've gone before us, who stood on the word of God, contra mundum, against the world, right? Who were unwilling to compromise. And then we compromise. And I really don't have any desire to hear from those leaders about examples of faithfulness in the past if they have no desire to follow in their footsteps today. Jesus called these people serpents and a brood of vipers. That's how he described these leaders. There's much more that could be said, but can you see now by looking at these four things, how many similarities there are between the Pharisees and the leaders of the professing evangelical and reformed church? Can you see the similarities between them? Both groups teach the right thing. Both groups, unfortunately, in our day, placed other things above the Word of God in practice. Both said they believed in the Word of God, but in practice they contradicted it. And both revered those who went before them in church history. And yet when when the rubber met the road, they didn't follow in their steps. These warnings were written for our instruction And the church leaders of our day would be wise to heed them. If the professing evangelical and reformed church does not wake up and realize that she has erred, that she has sinned, then we will continue to be led by blind guides who proclaim to be all about the word of God, who proclaim to be all about the reformers and how they stood on the word of God, but in practice do something very different. Now, I can understand and accept a Christian or even a group of Christians failing to honor Christ in a moment of weakness, right? If if this person or group is broken over that failure and desires to honor Christ no matter the cost, I can understand that. We all have moments of weakness. But I cannot accept a conscious decision to give up on doing what God requires because doing so will cost us something. That is not a religion that I want to be part of at all. And those are not religious leaders that I will follow. Those are not religious leaders that I will encourage other people to follow. That would not be a loving thing to do. Right? Jesus warned of these leaders. If I preached about the errors of Rob Bell or the errors of liberal churches, which aren't really churches that have accepted the sin of homosexuality, if I preached about those quote-unquote church leaders, no one within the professing Reformed Church would raise an eyebrow. But when you critique 
those who are orthodox, then people get offended. Because we've forgotten that when Jesus critiqued the Pharisees, which he often did, he did not do it because it was widely accepted that these were the false teachers. That's not why he critiqued them. No, Jesus spoke so much about the Pharisees because the people did respect them. You see, the people did believe that the Pharisees had it right and that they were the ones leading them on the path of obedience to God. Jesus spoke so forcefully because not only were the leaders blind, but the people had been blinded too and were following these leaders. If we do not understand that the leaders within even the Reformed Church can be blind guides, then we are in great danger of the same errors that plagued the people in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, listen, the Pharisees had so much influence. You realize the Pharisees had great influence over the people. They weren't just this fringe group that everyone kind of looked at and said, man, don't be like the Pharisees. They had tremendous influence over the people because they were respected. They had so much influence. You want to know the degree of their influence of the religious leaders of Jesus' day? They had enough influence that they persuaded the people who a week before had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as the king. They persuaded them to ask for his crucifixion. The Pharisees had great influence over the people. And the reformed leaders of our day have great influence. And they had enough influence to persuade persuade a great many of Christians to neglect the assembly of the saints. That's how great their influence was. And these things ought not to be so. There is a place for religious leaders. I grant that. But every Christian must take the word of God for himself, for herself, and judge the teachings and practices of any religious leader of any church. If we do not do that, we are like the blind following the blind. May it not be so with us. May the Lord be pleased to grant us a new reformation in which he will raise up leaders who will stand on his word, who will practice what they preach, who will follow in the steps of faithful Christians from the past, and he will raise up disciples of Christ who will go to the word of God for all things and obey God's word, even if it means going against the world, going against the government, going against the respected church leaders of the day. This is a doctrine from the Bible that we need to understand. May God be pleased to bless the world with the Reformation in that way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these warnings. May we take them and apply them to our own day. People have, are fundamentally the same as they were 2,000 years ago. Religious leaders are prone to the same mistakes that the religious leaders in Jesus' day made. And followers of the truth, Christian disciples are prone to the same mistakes as well, to follow the blind instead of standing on the word of God. I pray that you would be pleased to grant the professing church repentance, to acknowledge the abandonment of your clear of the clear command from your word and that there will be healing and growth and revival and reformation may you be pleased to do this for your glory and for the good of your people in jesus name we pray amen